Let's open our Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2, the third message in our series through the book of Acts. Acts is the story of how God uh, instills His DNA in the early church. It is, uh, it, what we're doing is we're choosing particular passages that show us God's clearest intention for His church. You know, we're in a season of renewal at Fellowship. We're transitioning. We're looking at 20 years, looking back this spring, and then looking forward. And as we look forward, we say, God, what do you want for us? Not what do we want, what do you want? And I'll talk about this in a moment. We're doing some very specific things to determine his will and his leading. But we are taking this, uh, uh, certain verses and passages, and so I want you to know, no, we're not going through it verse by verse. We actually did that in 1999. It's 28 chapters, took us over two years. Um, But we will go uh, certain passages by passage. Now, we'll teach them within their context, okay? And then as we move through this series, we will be back into another book. And, of course, we will be taking it verse by verse as we do. The first two messages, I hope if you miss them, you'll go back and get them. I've said Rob Sweet is not a normal teacher. He is extremely gifted, and he has opened up the book of Acts. And, uh, and I, I, I want you to watch that and see that, not just because it's, it's good, but because all these messages build upon one another. We're going through Acts chronologically, and so they all connect Two things, two, two strands of DNA, if I said it this way, that Rob remind us, reminded us of. Number one, the Spirit is the power of God for the church to be a witness for God. Okay, that's what the, the whole chapter. The Spirit is the power of God for the church to be witnesses for God. You remember the, the, the slides were up, the, the, the dunamis, the, the, the power, and then we had the slide behind, the pneuma, the spirit, and then we had this word over here, the witness, that the spirit empowers us to be witnesses. The second DNA implanted within the church would be this, by the spirit, God does what we cannot do ourselves. By the spirit, the pneuma, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God does what you and I cannot do ourselves. And, and, and as even I was writing that this week, it, 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 it posed a question to me. Okay, so the Spirit does what I cannot do myself. And it's worth us asking as a church, and I would say asking more importantly individually, what in my life is only explainable because God did it? Let me ask it another way. What are, what are you, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, what, what, what are you believing God for? God, I'm going to trust because I, I can't get this done. I can't do it as strong as I am, as smart as I am. I can't do it. God, I can't do it. What are you believing God for that only he can do? And, and it's shocking, well, you know, it's convicting, I should say, to me that I go, wait, wait, what am I believing God for? You know, well, I can do that, so I'll do it, and I can do that, and I'll need God's help, but I can do it, or I can do that, and I, you know, God can help me. No, 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 I'm talking about what do you believe in that only God can do? We're going to talk a lot about that as we even enter into a season of prayer and fasting, and one of the very things that only God can do that we're going to trust Him for. We're going to move from the church's power to the church's message. What's the message? Okay, we're witnesses. Okay, so what are we witnesses to? What do we testify? What, what's the message that God has given us as a church? Um, I will say this, the message proclaimed by the church has not always been on 
target. I've got to say, and I think you would agree, it's honestly, it's been a smidgen off, just a smidgen. Unfortunately, when it comes to the message of God, when it's a smidgen off, it's totally off. When it's a smidgen, this is not one of these like you can get close. No, if it's a smidgen off, it's totally off. You've heard this probably, you know, you take off from, Los, take off from JFK, you fly to Los Angeles, your plane's one, de- one degree off, you can't even notice it when take off. Well, you fly, you know, some 3,000 miles later, you fly to L.A. You don't land in L.A. when you start off one degree off and stay there. You know where you land? You land in the ocean. <laughs> Problem. Fly to the moon. Rocket takes off. It's one degree off. You can't even see one degree. 200,000 miles later, you don't hit the moon. You are now 4,000 miles off from the moon. The width of the United States is 3,000. It's just a picture of you can be a tiny bit off. I'm going to tell you something. And over time, you're just totally way off. Well, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the message of the gospel. I'm going to use that word gospel. The gospel's the good news. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried, raised again. And when you trust Christ did what Christ did, he did for you, then you are saved. The Bible says you're born again. Your sins are forgiven. This is the gospel, the good news. Be a smidge off, okay? Just a smidge off on it. You have no gospel. It is no gospel. You think about the cost of being off with this message. Y'all, we're not talking about missing the moon by 4,000 miles. We're talking about men, women, and children who will spend an eternity apart from God. This is the cost. This is an eternal cost. Men, women, and children who will spend an eternity with God. There's no way to describe the weight of this when we, if we get this wrong. We, we're talking about living, a person living, quite frankly... In the freedom and the confidence of a secure foundation versus a person living with the gnawing sense that I, I think I'm saved, but I'm not sure I'm saved. It's always almost, but not quite right. So, this is what we're diving into today. And by the, by the way, I'm going to take a passage in, in, in Acts that we're going to examine that, that is, I think is, is one of those that we're pausing on purpose because it's created a lot of confusion for the church. Now, we're in Acts chapter 2, and uh, last week Rob ended at verse 14, and then 14 to 36 is Peter's first sermon. By the way, this is the first sermon, okay, in the church age. It's fascinating. And when you read it, Peter, what he does is he takes passages from the Old Testament. I mean, that's the only book, that's what they had. He takes passages from the Old Testament. He says, I want you to know God promised this in the Old Testament. And I want you to know Jesus has come and Jesus is the Messiah. And then I want you to look at verse 36. This always kind of cracks me up. It says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know, he's talking to all the Jews, know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He is the Messiah. This Jesus, whom you crucified. You know, and he'd already said it up top, whom you crucified. And I'm just, why I say it, I, I get tickled. It's probably not a good thing to laugh at. It's kind of like, what a way to present the gospel. Here, Jesus, you crucified him. Now, you know, you want to trust him. It's interesting. And it's yet what Peter said. And we get to see the response. Okay, so he preaches this sermon in verses 37 to 41. We're going to see 
Well, how did they respond? And most importantly, we are going to see Peter give some very specific instructions on what they need to do in order to be saved, to be rescued, forgiven of their sins. And uh, those of you who are familiar with these passages know where I'm going to go here. And we come to this passage which which has confused many, and it's why I'm going to spend the time on it to bring some clarity around it. You ready? Verse 37, this is God's word to us today. Peter has preached the, the gospel. He's preached it. Now we're going to see this response, and he's going to clarify the gospel to them. Verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Now, I want you to know right here, they were, this is biblical conviction. They were pricked in their heart. When you think about, I want you to think about this. When we think about what are we believing God to do that only he can do, men and women, this is the work of God. You and I, when we know people that don't know Christ, we cannot convict them. We cannot shame them. You cannot do that. No, no, the, 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 the piercing of the Spirit, as here, is a work of the Spirit. This is the work of God that he does. Now, how do we engage in that? That's what I'm going to talk about at the very end. But here's a work of God. He pierced their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? The the, uh, jailer is later on in Acts going to say, What do I do to be saved? You know, what do we do now in light of this? And here comes the verse. It's verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. It's for you, the Jews. And it's for for generations, for your children. But then he goes on, and for all who are far off. That means it's for the Gentiles. This is going to be the struggle through Acts. Are they in or are they out? I thought it was Jewish. No, it's Gentile. Wait, can the Jewish and Gentile be together? This is the, this is the struggle in Acts. No, it's for those who are far. It's for, it's for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. There's a lot in that one, the sovereignty of God and salvation. Verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. We, we would say that the church, literally the church's birth and born, Acts 2, they went from 120 to 3,000 in that moment after Peter's first sermon. Uh, verse 38 Some of you come from a Church of Christ background. I know that. Uh, Some of you come from maybe a Lutheran or a Catholic background where... where, where you're, you're taught, you believe, you know, that, that in order for your sins to be forgiven, you, you must be baptized. Um, it's a necessary means by which salvation is secured or applied. So now, let me be very clear. This would be, you know, it's, it's not faith alone. Like, it's, it's not just faith alone that saves, but it's faith plus, you can put anything here, but you say baptism. Now, the primary verse, it's not the only verse, and this is why I'm pausing, because again, I know, when it, especially in a Church of Christ background, this verse is, 
is kind of the wellspring for, for, to hold to that. Well, it says you got to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, I want you to know right on the front end, I am not here to, to denounce or bash or take apart our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in another denomination. Not at all. What's my responsibility? What's Rob's responsibility? To shepherd the flock amongst me. It's, it's, it's to shepherd you. And so this is about us. And this is about us clarifying what we believe the, the Bible says about the gospel. So let's just, this is all, let's just keep our eyes on us. What do we believe that the Bible teaches about salvation? Okay? Um, if one believes there is more to becoming a Christian than faith alone, I, I, I want to suggest that, that that person has stepped onto a treadmill that they can never get off. Now, what do I mean by that? I will say this, and you're gonna, you know, I think you know what I'm going to say here in a moment, that it's faith alone, it's faith plus nothing is the gospel. You know, it's just faith in Christ plus nothing else added. When you say it's faith and, you have stepped on a treadmill by which you know, your, your, your flesh, that principle of sin within all of us, will, will, will not enable you, I, I don't believe, to ever get off the treadmill of it's faith and, okay, that secures my salvation. But, but what you'll find is people then begin to realize, well, and, in order to keep that salvation, and, in order to make sure I'm not going to lose my salvation, and, it, 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 when you start, when you, when you add one thing, I, I believe, you know, then it's not the gospel. That the gospel is faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine faith, biblical faith. I'm not talking about just this, this, this whimsical thought. Genuine faith that Jesus lived the life I couldn't. He died the death I deserved. He was buried and he rose again. And I believe it. And I'm going to trust that what he did, he did for me. Because salvation is all of what he did, not what I did. Does that, does that take me off the responsibility for belief? No. No, no, no. Don't, 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 don't go like, well, then what do I do? Well, we believe. We have faith. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. I want us to put our attention on verse 38 because this is the most controversial probably verse um, that we have around this. The thought that, you know, you must be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And those of you in the room who I know have struggled with this, and maybe you struggle with it now, and, and it's okay, let's wrestle together. This verse, there is one word in the verse that creates the confusion. What's the word in the verse? It's, it's a small word. What's the one word that creates the confusion in this verse? Say it, anybody say it out loud? It's the word for. <laughs> Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, here it comes, for the forgiveness of sin. It's a Greek word, three little letters, E-I-S is how we say it, it's, it's E-I-S. That one word, I'm telling you, is a, is a, it's a battlefield, quite frankly. And to help us understand this, and, and, and I think this makes this is not going to be difficult to grasp, uh, those who would say that, that the act of baptism somehow you know, communicates or, or, or secures the forgiveness of sin would say that this preposition, eis, E-I-S, that when you read it in, throughout the Bible, okay, it, it generally means um, uh, in, in order to get. 
in order to get. And, and, it, and it's true. It's the normal usage. I want you to know that. So that if I said to you, go to the grocery store for milk. What does for mean? It means go to the grocery store in order to get milk. <laughs> That's so plain. And I want to tell you, when you read this... Most of the times that, that preposition is used in our New Testament, that's what it means. And so that's why you, people would say, well, look, it says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in order to get the forgiveness of your sins. So, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, those who would argue that's not what Peter is saying would argue grammatically that this tiny word for, is can be used not in order to get but because you have. What do you mean? Well, take this in the English language. You look at a poster and it says, wanted for armed robbery. We just did the same word. What does the for mean on this poster? Tell me, what does it mean? Wanted for armed robbery. Does it mean in order to, in order to go rob a bank or what? It means because he has or she has robbed a bank. Are you with me? And there are places in the New Testament where this word for is used in this way. And so those who would say, you know what, baptism is not required for salvation would say, you know what Peter's saying is, repent and each of you be baptized because your sins are forgiven. Which is the is what I'm going to propose he means here. Now, I'll say, it's the grammatical argument's not the strongest of arguments, quite frankly. But I want to be really clear, okay? Just super clear for a moment. We, your teaching pastors, and we as a church, doctrinally believe that salvation is a gift of God. That it has been made possible by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That a person is saved. That is, their sins are forgiven. The debt is paid that they owe to God for their sin, the wages of sin. That their debt is paid by faith alone. In Christ alone. It is genuine faith. It is a faith that says, you know what Jesus did he did for me. And I am trusting that he did it for me. We believe that baptism is an act of obedience. So, so stick with me. Faith in Christ alone. My sins are forgiven. I'm put in a right standing with God. Baptism is an act of obedience. It's not a part of faith. It's an act of obedience that those who are saved will then, out of obedience to Christ, be baptized to say to the world, God has saved me. Baptism means identification. I am now identifying myself as a Christ follower. That's what baptism represents. Now, we're going to take a week and a couple weeks, and I'm going to camp on this, and we're going to come back to why is baptism so confusing, and how are ways that we as a church, quite honestly, we... we 
We neglect it. We, we don't think it's important. I'm telling you, man, when you read the book of Acts, what's, what confuses people oftentimes is, is, let me tell you, when someone came to faith in Christ, you know what they did with their next breath? I want to be baptized. Now, you see, it's distinct, but you know what? What do we do today often? I'm not saying everybody. You know, we come to faith in Christ, and 12 years later, I don't know, you know, it can be, we go, I think I'll be back. You see what I'm saying? And we get it separated. But no, they're very close, and we'll talk about that later. So, I've given you the grammatical reason why I would say, and I want you to know what we believe. But listen, the grammatical argument, y'all, is not... It's not airtight. I just got to tell you. Um, there are people way smarter than you and me who are, give their lives to studying original languages. And you know what? Some come out here and some come out here. It's okay. I mean, it's just the truth. So the grammatical argument is not airtight. And, and what we need to do is what we would do with any difficult passage. I mean, we're going to look at the grammatical argument and, and, and I'm going to say, you know, what I believe about it based on that, but we also look beyond the grammatical argument and we look at the context. We look at the whole of the Bible. We take biblical principles of interpretation. It's called hermeneutics. And we say, okay, if we apply these principles of interpretation and we look at this, because the grammatical argument, honestly, you know, I don't know, I don't know. these. Well, if we look at the other things, what will happen is you'll begin, this is with any difficult path, you'll begin to go, well, you know, when I look at, it just seems to be this. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you a very smidgen of uh, other arguments that would say, you know, that's not what Peter means, nor is he saying in this verse that baptism is required for forgiveness of sins. No, that's not what he's saying. And let me tell you why beyond the grammatical reason. Start here. We believe it points decidedly you know, the, the, the whole of Scripture, in fact, all the evidence points decidedly toward a salvation secured by faith and faith alone. And, and here's why. Number one, I'm going to read these statements. Repentance leads to forgiveness, not baptism. Because the Bible teaches repentance is what leads to forgiveness, not baptism. Okay, well, the grammatical argument is going to be a tough one there, but let me say this. This statement is consistent with Luke's understanding of repentance and forgiveness. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the book of Acts. We're going to see the consistency that he speaks to this. The, 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 when, when, um, when Jesus is commissioning the disciples in Luke 24, verses 46 to 48, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Remember, we're going to be witnesses. Okay, what's the message, Jesus? Listen to the message Jesus says that the church will have. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. What I love about this is what Peter just did in Acts 2 is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen, right? He just preached it. And what does he preach? Repentance for forgiveness of sins. Um, repentance, metanoia, is a, is a Greek word that means a change of mind. Now, it is, a, it is a change of mind. That's where it begins. You know, you, you, you go, you know what? I thought this about something. I'm changing my mind. I don't think that anymore. I think this. 
biblical idea of repentance doesn't stop with a change of your mind. A biblical concept of repentance changes your affections, your heart, and your will. Such that you don't go, you know, I just changed my mind. But you keep going the way you're going. No, in biblical repentance, you are moving away from God. You change your mind, change your heart, change your will. I choose to turn and move toward God. That's biblical repentance. And you see, you're going from God. You turn toward God in faith. Now, I'll say this in a moment. The whole, thing's of, the whole thing is of grace. You know, when a person repents, when they were pricked in their heart, listen, that wasn't because they were smarter than the other people that didn't. It meant the Holy Spirit had gifted them with repentance and gifted them with the faith to believe. That's what Ephesians will teach, as I'll read in a moment. And this is where we see that repentance and faith, you all, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. See, there, there's no biblical repentance apart from faith. And, and there's never, there, faith is not present when there's no repentance present. Listen to Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite systematic theologians. He says this, quote, Of course, sometimes faith alone is named as the thing necessary for coming to Christ for salvation. But what we do not often realize is the fact that there are many other passages where only repentance is named. For it is simply assumed that true repentance will also involve faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin. The New Testament authors understood so well that genuine repentance and genuine faith had to go together. That they often simply mention repentance alone with the understanding that faith would also be included, end quote. Well, prove it. Acts 3.19. He's just preached his first sermon. He preaches his second in Acts 3. Look at, don't look at it because I'm going to hit these really quick. Acts 3.19. He says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Acts 5, 31, to the Sanhedrin. He says, he, Jesus, is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Acts eleven eighteen. Peter has just saw something he thought he would never see. Cornelius, his family, a bunch of Gentile dogs have come to faith in Christ. Okay, here's this tension going on again. And he goes back to Jerusalem. And it's like he's got a report to the superiors. And he reports to the apostles because they've heard that Gentiles have come to faith. And they're kind of going, what? They thought this was Jewish. And so he comes to them and he explains to them, they came to faith. And when he explains it to them, this is what the apostles said. When they, the apostles there in Jerusalem, heard what Peter had said, they quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted, there's the giftedness, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Now implied in that, 
There is no life, men and women, apart from a relationship with God. There's no relationship with God apart from your sins being forgiven. So implied, granted the repentance that leads to forgiveness of sins, life with God, you see. New Testament commentator John Polhill says, quote, in no other text in Acts is baptism presented as bringing about forgiveness. This is the point I'm trying to make, and I'm trying to make graciously. Jesus, Peter, and Paul, because, because they know repentance you know, includes faith, they did not hesitate, you all, to simply preach repentance. They didn't hesitate because they know when they say repentance that there's no repentance about, without genuine faith in Christ. Thus, it's faith that secures forgiveness of sin, not baptism. Second, evidence I would offer you, it's faith alone that secures forgiveness, would be this. Um, this understanding, okay, that it's faith alone, faith alone is consistent with the analogy of faith. Say it again. Faith alone is consistent with the analogy of of faith. Now, what's the analogy of faith? I still kind of read that sometimes and go, why did they name it that? I don't know, but they named it the analogy of faith. <clears throat> but it is a biblical principle that holds to the fact that the Bible is one book. It is unified. It does not contradict itself. It's called the analogy of faith. It all holds together with one message. And therefore, to maintain the analogy of faith, interpreters of the Bible assume and put themselves under this rule that no scripture will contradict the whole counsel or other scriptures in the Bible. That, that, that the, no one scripture can, can state a doctrine that is contradicted by multiple other passages. Am I making sense on this? That's the analogy of faith. It's got to be consistent. It's also, there's a principle here, I'm just going to throw this out, that the clear interprets the unclear. kind of fits into this, that you don't take an unclear passage and say, this is what it means. No, you take the unclear passages and you bring all the clear passages to bear on the unclear passage, okay? Now, the analogy of faith. Just listen, this is a small sampling. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, I can't read that verse without reminding us all of salvation is a gift. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift. The faith you have to believe that Jesus died the death you deserve, was buried and raised, that faith is a gift. It's not the fact that you studied long enough and you figured it out. That's not according to the Bible. The Bible says it's a gift. Gift. The whole thing's a gift of God. Therefore, even the fact that you would be moving away from God and God's at work somehow in your life and you repent, do we understand that our repentance, while it's a choice, okay, I said it starts in the mind, you, you, you change of mind, change of heart, affection, change of will, that that in itself, repentance, is a gift. And therefore, you see, it's, our salvation is a gift of God, of grace, let me keep going. Analogy of faith. What do the clear passages say? John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That is, to those who believe 
in his name. Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. We have believed in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ. 1 John 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. When it says believe in the name, that means believe in the whole person, what he did, how he lived, all that Christ represents. You've believed in the name of Christ in order that you may know you have eternal life. Repentance, repentance leads to forgiveness, not baptism. Faith alone for the forgiveness of sin is consistent with the principle of the analogy of faith. And third, faith alone affirms Paul's distinction between baptism and the gospel. It affirms Paul's distinction between baptism and the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Now, the context for this is they're saying, I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized, you know, so they're kind of buddying up, whatever. And, and Paul says, uh, Christ, you know, he's trying to help them see, look, um, it's not who baptizes you. So I, I, I totally get that, that that's in the context. But it's clear he distinguishes between baptism and preaching the gospel. He says, he didn't send me to baptize. That's not, so I came, I came to preach the gospel, okay? This is the Paul who a little later in, in that book in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, he becomes all things to all men that by all means some would be saved. In Romans, he says, he says he wishes that he were a curse. Look, I wish I were a curse in order that some of my Jewish family would be saved. Was there ever a man, I don't know, I don't think so, more passionate about saving the lost than Paul? I think not. And yet he makes this distinction between baptism and the gospel. And I think it affirms that it's not the baptism that forgives sin. Okay. Paul gave his life, literally, so that the message of the church would not be off by one degree. See, if it's off by one degree, it's not the message. He gave his life that it wouldn't be off by one degree. And so then, you know... Uh, when he wrote his magnum opus, by the way, the book of Acts is a transitional book. So another way we interpret Acts, I just got to throw this in, is it's a transitional book. And y'all, things happen in Acts that don't happen later. You know, people get the Holy Spirit. They're not even Christians. or they're, Not that. People get the Spirit. You know, they were Christians, but they hadn't got the Spirit yet. That doesn't happen today. Uh, you know, it, there's all this transition going on. And so when we interpret the book of Acts, we always understand this is not where we develop our doctrines. Okay. Not in the book of Acts. And we're going to develop our doctrines in the epistles. Okay? When Paul sits down to write his magnum opus. What's Paul's magnum opus? I mean, the book. Romans. And the book of Romans is about justification by faith. Right? And when he writes that, he says so clearly in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed 
of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And again, I'm just arguing that the evidence here would say, boy, if there was something else required, Paul would have said it in Romans for sure, and he doesn't. Forgiveness of sin, the righteousness of Christ, eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for everyone who, what? Y'all believes. That's what we believe. For everyone who believes, faith alone in Christ alone. May we, may we not confuse the message of the gospel. Not even by one degree. Close your Bibles. I've got 10 minutes to walk you through uh, something we do believe and something we are doing as a church family. And it'll relate even to this passage. I'd like the ushers to pass out this little pamphlet. It's called 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting. 40 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Uh, If you hear my voice and you understand what I'm saying, you take one. Kids, adults, everyone in the room takes the pamphlet. Uh, I'm not going to read all the way through it because there's not much to read. We tried to make this as simple and as clear as we possibly can. We are in a season at Fellowship where in this spring we will hit 20 years of of a church. And we look back with great gratitude, but I'm going to tell you the most important look for us we recognize is the look forward. And it's to say, Lord, what do you want for us? And so we are taking this fall and we're doing some things to get ready. That's what Rob and I talked about. And then January, February, we're going to dream together. And part of that getting ready is we're going to study the book of Acts. And we're going to say, okay, God, what is the DNA of the church? And we're studying that. We said this, we're going to refresh the elder board. There are elders that we're going to bring transition off and elders are going to come on. So renewing leadership there. You know we've had some leadership transitions here. It's not been the easiest of days for us as a community of faith. But we believe it's the right decisions as we move forward. And so the third thing we're doing to get ready is we are going to take 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I want you to know, I struggled with this as we worked through it. We're not trying, it's not trying to be gimmicky or it, it's just going, what do, what do the people of God do? We pray and fast. Now, now, we don't do that though, do we? So that's why we're doing this. This is part of our own repentance and say, Lord, we, got to, we want to depend upon you. Um. I told the guys backstage when they were asking about this, I said, yeah, for sure, this, this 40 days starts tomorrow, so you want to carb up tonight, for sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is not, we're not going to ask you to fast for 40 days. Um, let me explain how this is going to work and what we are going to do. The first thing we're going to ask everyone to do is to opt in in order to get a daily reminder of here's what we're praying and how we're praying. I'm telling you, at the end of these 40 days, you, it's for everybody. It's going to be a, we're going to take your hand and go, look, this is how you pray. And we're going to follow the acronym ACTS, familiar, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. The whole first week that you will be getting, it's just all about adoration. And there's some passages to help you understand what does adoration mean and how do I express that? We're going to learn to pray together, y'all. So, Opt in in order to get that. Now, here's what I want us to do is I want everyone to take out their phone. um, And I want you, this is a strange one, isn't it? It's like being in the movie theater and they say, everybody take out your phone and turn it on loud. Everybody take out your phone 
and I want you to go to your text and look up on the screen. Here's some very clear instructions, I hope. Go to, make, go to send a text, and you are going to, in the message box, write FELLOWSHIP FAST. It can be all caps, all small, no spaces. It's one word, FELLOWSHIP FAST. And then in the two, so you're, this is the address, it's pretty easy, 555-888. Send that text. Fellowship fast to five 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 eight eight eight. If you don't have your phone, you can go on the website, and there's a link there to get your to get it by email, and you sign up. Um, I'm encouraging you to sign up. What's going to happen is tomorrow morning. At 6 a.m., just so you know, you're going to get a reminder every day for the next 40. And it will take you to a link that is a prayer guide. Adoration. Here's a passage to read. Here's a passage to pray. Here's an exercise you can do to apply this. Here, do you see what I'm saying? It's every day we're going to pray. We're going to start with adoration. We're going to have a week of confession. Oh, what would God do in us if we church took a week to confess we're gonna have another week where the focus is adoration confession thanksgiving and then at the back end we're going to begin to pray certain prayer requests some of which the leaders met last sunday some of the small leaders within the church and they gave these prayer requests and we're going to pray them and most importantly we are going to pray along the lines we talked about this morning there are people who don't know christ that we are going to pray, come to know Christ. You understand that's why we're here? That's why we exist? And we'll pray along those lines. We'll end that way in a moment. Now let me talk to you about the fasting. Um, very short explanation of fasting here. There is a website on the back of this pamphlet I'd like you to go to and read. It'll give you some direction on the what, how, and why of fasting. You know, fasting is saying no to something in order to say yes to God. Now, the most, pri- most common fast is a meal fast. And some people can fast, you can fast for a day, you can fast for a few days, pick some days that you'll fast throughout, or you can fast for a meal. That's okay. We want you to be careful. Fasting is, if you've got a health issue, you, you want to be careful how you fast. You know you always want to drink water. I want to be careful on this. But, but, but why would we fast? Well, because the people of God prayed and fasted, and Jesus assumed the disciples would fast. And you got to know, I don't do that much, you know. I do it every once in a while, but not. And so we want to say, Lord, I want to say no to this meal and yes to you. And so you may fast. I'm going to fast, you know, lunch on the 26th. So I don't go to that meal. But during that time, I'm going to pray. Okay? And so what we want you to do now is, look, this is perforated. I want you to tear off the prayer and fasting little card. So now everybody's got this little card, and on that calendar, I want you to put an X or a circle on the day or the days that you will fast, whether a meal or a whole, you know, all three meals, okay? So this is all of us doing this. You all know that I checked with William, and, you know, for fe- at Fellowship, you know, we take all, this is all of our campuses, there's, there's right about 5,000 people that, that consider Fellowship home, okay? They're not all here on a weekend by any means, but... 5,000 people. So, so I'm praying that most all will do this. We'll, we'll step in and pray together. Can you imagine some four to 5,000 people 
fasting and praying the same things. And I'm going to tell you something, what we're praying, what, what this will be about, is God convicting us of our sin. Oh, what do we need to confess, repent of? Where do we need to restore relationships? What do, I don't know. This is, this is, I can't change your heart, nor my own. But God does, and we're going to plead with him that he would. I, I couldn't be more excited nor terrified about what we're going to do because I'm dead serious when I say to you, you step into this, be prepared for a battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities and dark places. And you think that the devil and his demons are going to stand by when you and I begin to plead with God to show us our sin and to plead with God to save people we know who don't know him. You think he's going to stand by? He's not. I don't say that to scare you, but to warn you and to say, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. This is what we were made for, to do battle like this. We don't battle in our strength. This is a work of the Spirit. We stand in his strength. I want you to take that little card right now and I want you to write somewhere on it the names of people you know who don't know Christ. I want you to do that now. If you don't do it now, do it later. But I want you to start now. Now, I started this a few weeks back when Rob and I handed out these letter A's. But I know a lot of you don't have it. But I wrote the names of people I know who don't know Christ. I want you to write some names. And I'd like you to have them on your phone or on this piece of paper somewhere. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, Lord, I pray you would save people in the world. We need to be praying, Lord, would you save Tom? Would you save Cindy? Would you save John? the names of those that you... I'm just asking you to, about people you know in your circle. Family, friends, relatives, work associates... Neighbors, write the names down. So we're praying very specifically. And we are praying for God to do what only he can do. Who does that? The Holy Spirit is given to the church that we might do, that God might do what we can't do. We cannot bring someone to faith in Christ. It's the work of the Spirit. But we can pray. Now, I've got 17 names on mine that I wrote. I want you to tell me, what are, how many, just yell out a number. I've got 17. Yell out a number, just a few of you. How many names would be on your list if you finished it out? How many? Somebody yell, some people, eight, how many, how many? Ten, how many? Eleven, how many? Nine, okay, look, go this way, because I did this last night, I did another service. Let's just say there's 5,000 people who call Fellowship Home. Let's just say 4,000 engage in this. Let's say you heard 9, 10, 11, I've got 17. Let's just say 5 on average. That means there are 20,000 souls. You see, because you sit here and you go, well, everyone around me is a Christian. No, they're not. 20,000 just by this little exercise. How are they going to come to faith? By a people who choose to be a witness in the power of the Spirit? By a people who choose to pray and plead with God and ask God to save them. And when you think about it that way, y'all, is it, is it foolish of us to pray 
that in this season of prayer and in the coming year, 3,000 people would be saved. Now, I'm not going to say that number. I'm just telling you what happened here. 3,000 came to faith. You and I know 20,000 people, probably more, who don't know Christ. Does God want them saved? Can we pray along those lines? That's what we're going to do. I want you to bow your head, and I'd like you to pray right now. Begin praying. You pray for those names, and I'll close this. Father, there are at least 20,000 names. This are, these are people, faces that we know and love. And we know apart from you, they will spend an eternity apart from you. And so we, your people, are praying and asking that you would move on their behalf to save them, to open their eyes, to convict, to prick their heart, that they would say, what does this mean? That you'd prick their heart and they would come to say, what should I do? And that you would have a voice, whether ours or someone else's, that tells them, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Trust in the work that Christ has done and you will be saved. And in this season of prayer, O oh God, would you change us individually and as a community of faith. May there be deep, deep repentance. May there be restoration and reconciliation of relationships. May there be forgiveness offered and received. May there be the work of your spirit to transform our lives such that your love would be evident to us and to a lost world, we ask. In Christ's name, amen, and God bless. And thank you for your patience. You know, we've went really long. There's nothing more important that we could do than what we are talking about in this. God bless.